across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. It's more like Boris Karloff. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the start of another week of preening, boasting, lying, eating weird and unusual foods, evictions and chasing the popular vote. But that's enough about the Brexit deal with Brussels and the campaign by Theresa May to get everyone to like her. After the crocodile tears shed by Michel Barnier in Brussels yesterday, I'm not sure I've got any emotions left for the I'm a Remain vote to get me out of here brigade and after watching the snowflake generation struggling to operate a blowtorch at a demonstration you know our futures are in the right hands. Today though it did start off quite well because uh, British academic Matthew Hedges was pardoned by the UAE uh, we're told he has now just been released from prison so it may well be that he'll be back in Blighty by the end of the day which can't be a bad thing at all but uh, what on earth was going on there? Why did the Foreign Office allow him uh, to be claimed by the uh, UAE as some kind of an MI6 spy? It all seems a bit ridiculous doesn't it? 0344 499 1000. Coming up this hour, John Rental is going to join us, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. Uh, he's going to try and make sense of why Theresa May, one of the worst campaigners in the history of campaigning, has decided to campaign on behalf of her Brexit deal. Surely if she does that, more people will be against it than there are now. 0344 499 1000. Giselle Wainwright coming up uh, with some bargains for Cyber Monday in this hour as well. And why Sunderland is apparently the best place to live if you're under 30 in the United Kingdom. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I have to say, if I see any more European leaders or representatives of the European Parliament or representatives, indeed, of any uh, foreign office of any European country telling us how sad a day it was yesterday and how terrible it was yesterday and how awful they all feel about Britain leaving the European Union, I think I might just break down uh, and have somebody pass me a sick bag. However, John Rental, the man that knows everything there is to know about the mood of the European nation that we are, uh, will tell us now whether he thinks that Theresa May's ideas are going down better today than they were last week. John, a very good morning to you. <laughs> good morning, Mike. Thanks for that introduction. Well, indeed. I mean, there's so much to talk about, isn't there, since uh, since it the really day is. of sort of panto. It's turning into a bit of a pantomime, this whole thing, isn't it? There's a kind of, oh, yes, she will. Oh, no, she won't. You know, I mean, it's kind of mad, <laughs> it's isn't mostly, it? It's mostly, oh, no, she won't at the moment, <laughs> I must say. Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, but I think I do think that's overdone. Um, yeah, everybody hates this deal. Yes, but it's the deal in the middle of the of of the two options. I mean, the two options are leaving without a deal. Uh, everybody hates that even more. Uh, or the other option is uh, postpone Brexit, hold a referendum, and you know, the, people like uh, my my newspaper, the Independent, hope we'll decide to stay in. Right. Um, and you know, there are quite a lot of people who don't like that option either. So. The question is, can the middle option, which is currently the most unpopular, uh, just sort of come through by being uh, everybody's second preference? I can't remember who it was that said, it may have been on Question Time last week, because it all starts to roll, sort of mould into one after a while, but somebody said a bit sort of Churchillian to say that this is the worst possible deal for Brexit, aside from all the rest, which of course <laughs> is, a, is, is a very good line. Which is not a bad line. It kind of is that. It feels like that, doesn't it? Well, that, I mean, that's my view. I mean, I've, you know, I don't like this idea of uh, of, of being trapped in some uh, some arrangement. This this bar, this guarantee of keeping the Irish border open. I yeah. mean, those those arrangements. Uh, you know, it is unusual mm. to have a country sign up to an international agreement that binds it and and doesn't have any means of getting out of it mm. without uh, without the other side having a 
having a veto over it. I mean, I don't like that at all, but it is the least worst um, option uh, on on the table, I think. Yes. Uh, and if if you if you want to um, put an end to free movement, and if you want to keep the Irish border open, it is the only option. Um, so you know that truth is, is you know may eventually uh, percolate through people's. Uh, people's mm. consciousness but i mean i'm not confident that uh, mps are going to behave logically no well i, I mean that is a, i think probably the truest thing that's been said all day so far the point is that um, that here we have now a situation where almost everyone who's anyone in politics is predicting that it will not get through parliament which tells yeah. me because they've got everything else so badly wrong in this whole brexit <laughs> shenanigan that it's almost bound to happen now <laughs> yeah, well, no, I mean, I think they're right. It won't get through on the first attempt yeah. because that, because then it won't be clear what the alternatives are. Right. Um, but so, you know, Theresa May has to get to a point where Parliament is making a choice, a clearly defined choice between two uh, two options. And, uh, you know, we don't know what the what the other option, which option is going to be eliminated first, because there's basically three of them. Right. Um, and, you know, if it comes down to a choice between this deal and no deal, then this deal wins. If it comes down to a choice between this deal and a referendum, then I'm, I mean, I, just, I think that's that's a bit closer. Uh, but I still think this deal would probably win that. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not at all confident mm. about it, as you can tell. No, indeed. But also the whole referendum idea also has three possible outcomes, doesn't it? In, well, terms, of, in terms of what is the referendum going to be about? Is the referendum exactly. going to be about whether we stay... Uh, in the deal that we currently have or make it better, i.e. we've already voted to leave, so let's not have uh, a remain op- option on the, on the, on the ballot. Yeah. Or do we go back to a simple remain or leave? Or do we have you know, uh, the ability to split the, the leave vote into two by giving it... You know, I mean, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. that I can't, see, I, I can't yeah. imagine... It's like talking to a lunatic telling you that you know, the, the, by far and away the best course of action is to, is to set me free from the asylum and everything will be fine. Yeah. Now, I mean, a three-option referendum is, is, is really... I mean, that's where it's, it starts to get very difficult. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, how a referendum would actually happen uh, and what the questions would be uh, and all of that, uh, those are all very difficult questions, which makes me think that, that you know, that there, are, there are difficulties with that, with that course. I mean, that's, that's another reason for thinking that, um, you know, in the end, unpopular though it may seem, uh, Theresa May's deal could prevail. Yes, and it's only really unpopular with everybody, as opposed to <laughs> you know one side or the other. You know, so in many ways, as I said to you, I think the last <laughs> time we spoke, you know, it must be doing something right if it's upsetting both sides. Yes, yeah, no, absolutely. It's the worst deal apart from all the others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what about the uh, the next sort of few days in this campaign of hers? Because Alistair Campbell, who I'm not a massive fan of, put out a um, uh, a very funny tweet this morning saying, "Surely uh, the vote leave, uh, sorry, the, the 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 people's vote people should be very happy this morning to see <laughs> that Theresa May is going to go out and campaign for something yeah. because she's so bad at it." <laughs> well, there is that. I mean, you yes, uh, we can all have 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 fun with her uh, at her expense about that. But I mean, on the other hand, I do think over the past week, ten days, she's sort of held up quite well, and I think she's earning a bit of grudging respect from. Uh, oh, I agree. Yeah, from, totally. the, from the general public. I mean, mm. I think uh, uh, you know, I think she looks like a a sincere. Uh, a person who's very determined, um, who's absolutely trying to do her best in very difficult circumstances, and I think she's getting, she's getting some respect for that. But I mean, you're right that in the sort of knockabout of a t- of a live TV TV debate with Jeremy Corbyn, who shouldn't really be underestimated in those sort of, those sort of circumstances, um, I doubt if she would perform very well. But you know. 
because Jeremy Corbyn has got huge problems in all this because it's not clear whether he wants to uh, he wants just to rebrand her deal, put put a Labour sticker on it, and uh, and 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 call it a jobs first Brexit, or whether he wants to mm. to call the halt to the whole thing. Well, which indeed, most of his party do. And it is an interesting sort of tightrope to walk, isn't it? Because Keir Starmer's come out and said the Labour Party will be voting against this deal. Uh, there yeah, are those but... who are what you might call Democrats, and I'm not sure which side of the fence they fall on, but who basically say, you know, is it not somewhat sort of destructive for, for MPs not to, not to try and make this thing work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I mean, what Keir Starmer says is they're going to vote against the deal, but they're not saying what they're going to vote for. Right. He, he's, he's still sort of clinging to this sort of magical alternative deal. Uh, but, I mean, actually, the Labour Party's policy is very similar to the government's mm. deal. I mean, they want a, the Labour Party wants a permanent, wants us to be in a permanent customs union. The government wants us to be in a temporary customs union. Yeah. And, then, and, and none of that's actually going to be decided until after we leave anyway. So there's, there's, no, there's, there's very little real difference between the government's position and the Labour position. All this is just playing politics, as, as the Prime Minister quite rightly says, mm. I think. And what does but, it mean for those in the, in the Tory party who would... Uh, perhaps, if we are to believe what we're being told by their friends, uh, would perhaps even bring the government down and possibly see a Labour government in uh, in order to get what they want. Well, would they? Well, <laughs> you may well really ask. Bring their, would they really bring their government down? I mean, that is, that is the interesting question. I mean, what is really astonishing, I thought, was, that was Arlene Foster of the DUP uh, saying that she actually thought a Corbyn government uh, would would be better than than Theresa May's deal. Now that really does open up uh, uh, the remarkable prospect of the DUP switching sides in a hung parliament yeah. and uh, ditching ditching Theresa May and installing Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister mm. on condition that he he produces a Brexit deal of the that would be acceptable to the to the DUP. Uh, well, he'd have to have a the plan DUP then to do that, wouldn't he? Well, you could see how how he could do that. I mean, it would have to be. I mean, he would have to accept free movement because he would have to stay in the in the single market and in the customs union. Um, I'm not sure either. He would lose quite a few Labour MPs in Leave constituencies along the way there, but he might gain enough Tories who were uh, who are pro EU. So, I mean, that surely would our be politics have not become surely our politics have not become <laughs> so cynical that the friend of Sinn Fein and the IRA can actually get into bed with the DUP. Really. <laughs> Really? It's just absolutely amazing. That's what Arlene Foster <laughs> said, though. She actually said that May's deal was, 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 a, was a greater threat, she didn't say what to, uh, but a greater threat than a Jeremy Corbyn government. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to remember the DUP did form a government with Sinn Féin yes. in, 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 in Northern Ireland. Well, then look what happened to that, though. I mean, didn't, it didn't last. <laughs> I mean, they did, they, did actually, I mean, they did actually do the deal. They are actually now being run better with no government than they were when they had it. So, I mean, that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. I mean, yeah, well, it tells, it tells you quite a lot. But I mean, the thing is, the DUP is enjoying its moment in the sun. I mean, you, you saw that uh, the, the, they had their annual conference at the weekend. They were having the time of their lives. I mean, so they're not going to they're not going to want to go. She hasn't had this election. much fun since she handed out all those free boilers to people. I don't think is she. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was interesting because her speech. She devoted a large chunk of her speech to a sort of long apology for right. the uh, for that ash for cash scandal. Yes. Um, but on the other hand, she's still there. You know, there was a lot of talk before the 2017 election that Arlene Foster was finished. She was going to have to go. Um, but of course, the election came along and rescued her because mm. it put the DUP in, uh, in, in yeah. the balance of power in, in a hung parliament. Now, they're, they're not going to risk having another general election because then 
then you know the the, the arithmetic may not may not no. fall so favourably for them. But while they're in a hung parliament, why not use the threat of putting in Jeremy Corbyn mm. as an alternative prime minister yeah. to uh, to get whatever they want? God, it's amazing, isn't it? Because all you got to do is look across at the SNP and how sort of vacuous and useless they now are compared to where they thought they would be when they had the fifty six <laughs> and they thought that this is going to be the greatest sort of you know um, mess that we can have with the government of all time, and then it's all just evaporated. It has, it has. Although you've got to, you've got to hand it to Nicola Sturgeon. She's playing a weekend. Oh, she's well. doing very well. She's, she's doing still, very well. She's still quite popular in Scotland, and she, you know, every every time anything happens in in the news, she pops up and says that makes a, another referendum on independence more likely. Right. Um, but you know, so far it hasn't shifted opinion to, about independence in Scotland an inch. I mean, the whole Brexit thing was supposed to sort of lead to, to Scotland becoming independent in the, in, in the twinkling of an eye, yes. and it hasn't happened. Right, exactly. And and finally, um, or not quite finally, uh, because I want to talk to you about the Spanish and the whole Gibraltar thing, which seems to pop up as a big issue, funnily enough, after I started talking about it on Friday, and I started to realise that there was a lot of people who care about Gibraltar, uh, which, had, yeah. which I never thought possible. But Jeremy Hunt uh, got himself into trouble over the weekend because he coined a new phrase, Bobs, people who are yeah. bored of Brexit. Now, he didn't get into trouble because it was a dangerous thing to say, but pedants, and only in this country could you have these people, <laughs> said it's not actually bored of Brexit, it's bored with Brexit, so it doesn't work. Well, I'm afraid I'm one of, I, I, I'm one of those. Um, I, I prefer bored with or bored by. Yes. Uh, but actually, that, I mean, that is, a, that is just, a, it's just an archaic convention. There's no reason why it shouldn't be bored of. No. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, there are sticklers like me around and as long as we're around uh, it makes sense just not to uh, not to get up our nose it's, so, uh, it's people like you that write these kind of uh, books about grammatical correctness which 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 which, which should <laughs> encourage these people these pedants out there but anyway listen let's let's finish up on, on on gibraltar and spain because it's not really very clear precisely what theresa may has said to the spanish prime minister and and, and what has actually passed as a, as a as a deal of any kind no, there wasn't a deal. I mean, she all she wrote, all she did is she she wrote a letter say, setting out what uh, what everybody knows, which is that when it comes to sorting out our final trade deal with the EU, um, then Spain would have a veto on that. And uh, because although the the withdrawal agreement is is, it was, is done by a qualified majority, although in fact in the end they were all they all agreed to that because they have they they want this thing about European unity and they want to hold together, uh, so they pretended that was sort of unanimous. Uh, but when it comes to the trade deal, I mean, the legal position is that it has to be signed off by all member states, and not all, not just all member states, but all parts of member states. So we get the, the Walloon Parliament in, yes. in Belgium will get its say, uh, which nearly scuppered the uh, the Canadian trade deal. Right. So yeah, that is that is the position, and that's always been the position. And uh, but the Spanish Prime Minister was just engaging a bit, a bit of last minute theatricals in yes. order to impress his, his, his domestic audience. No, indeed. And and again, uh, sorry to be uh, final about the final question. I mean, people are now <laughs> asking the question, if this was such a complicated deal and if it took so long to work out two years effectively, why was it yeah. that the EU only took a couple of days to sign it off? <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's, that's just the nature of the deal, isn't yeah. it? I mean, all the negotiation takes place uh, you know behind closed doors and then it gradually gets winds its way through the processes but i mean you, you know the, the barnier michel barnier the negotiator agreed to it on behalf of the member states because he checked with them that this was acceptable to them so right. you know we you know the yesterday's uh, meeting was just a formality i mean they just had you know they had agreed in principle right. apart from a bit of spanish um 
Spanish showing off. Mm. And and also, I think there's a bit of French showing off as well about fish. But I mean, you know, apart from apart from that, it had all been agreed. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't that it was sort of easy for them to to to, to sign it off at the last minute. It no. had already, you know, it had taken two years to negotiate, and uh, they, they 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 finally um, signed on the dotted line. Sure. And I mean, from Macron's point of view, he just wanted somebody to take his mind off all the tear gas that was going around Paris, presumably as well. Uh, well, and in... his his opinion poll ratings. Which yes. Are, uh, which are which are in the in, in the U-bend at the moment. Now you're starting to sound like Donald Trump. You know, it must be time to go. John, thank you very much indeed. John Rental, Chief Political Commentator of The Independent, uh, telling us how it is, uh, what's likely to happen, when it's likely to happen. And I think, actually, uh, that it is likely to happen because all of these pundits who say, oh, this is never going to happen, have got it so wrong over the course of time. John's not one of them, by the way, uh, that I think I'm going to go with this is happening. So by Christmas, we will be totally and utterly strapped in, ready for the ejector seat and ready to hit the push the go button on March the 29th. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. (laughs) The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, uh, we will be telling you why Sunderland is apparently the best place to live and work in the United Kingdom. I can't believe that. Surely somebody's got that wrong. And also, what about the Russians and the Ukrainians uh, having a bit of a uh, a sort of standoff off off the coast of Crimea? Is that something you should be worried about? Uh, We'll bring you all the news on that as well. A couple of people have uh, pointed out that the drug in question, the arthritis drug, uh, which is called um, something uh, unpronounceable like Adalu I'm not quite sure if that's correct. I'm sure you'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, both Craig and Doug say the drug you're referring to has only just lost its patent, so competition to it only just arrived. Would agree with the general point, though, of it being an inefficient and bloated service purely for jobs and pensions. Well, I mean, the, the NHS does do an awful lot of good, but it's not very efficient. Let's talk to Andy, uh, who's in Bristol. Hello, Andy. Good morning. Compliments of the season. Thank you very much indeed. What do you want to tell us? Two points. I, I visit my uh, GP... Uh, quite often, it's okay. a new GP because I've just changed areas. Right, and and and, the, and as you rightly said in the interview with the gentleman prior to this, um, you need to get referred by the GP first, mm. and and that's where the, in my opinion, that's where the problems start. Is getting the referral from yeah. the GP. Do you find that it's difficult for them to to do that, or they don't want well, to do it? You get the sense they don't want to do it because I'm new. When I when I'm face to face with the GP. They, um, you, you explain something, and then it, it's like they don't know your history mm. because they they need their computers to see what's gone on in your past. Sure, and and they haven't got time to do it, have they? No. So, I, so, I, I often get the impression as well, Andy, I don't know if you do, that they'll they'll sort of see you the first time and then you say you want a referral and they kind of tell you to go away, come back. And it maybe it takes you three visits before they're convinced enough by your persistence that that's what you actually need. And it takes weeks to to, uh, to see them. Yeah. And, and the second point is NHS trusts. I had an issue, and I went down to my local NHS uh, head office, and um, you can't see anybody there. And and uh, it was impossible to talk to somebody about the issue I had with the with, mm. with the, the NHS service. Right. And 
I brought this up before a couple of years ago on local radio. It, I feel that the, 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 the position of the person running the local NHS, which should be bigger, it should it encompass a huge area, should be run by one man mm. who's responsible for running the whole lot. The yes. accounts, the business, everything. Yep. And that should be an elected post. So after five years... Really? You want to have an election for it? Honestly, wouldn't that make well, it even it, more complicated? Look, this, is a, this is a private job. Right. This is like anything with a bank. If, if the chairman of the bank doesn't do the business, the shareholders get rid of him. OK. And, and, and on that issue, if he has carte blanche to, to run his whole area with all the, all the finances, if after five years he hasn't done a good job, mm. he can be removed by... By his publica. But then what is it that you regard as a good job? Is it a good job financially, steering it so that it doesn't waste money? Is it a good job in terms of the patients being treated? You know, the deaths being prevented? It's difficult to measure, isn't it? Well, I think a good businessman, like anything, would would be able to to do this. Because, yes, that's... That is the business, isn't it? Well, it is. It, You're it, absolutely it, right. It, Andy, listen, thank you very much indeed. 0344 499 1000. Andy makes some good points. I'm not sure we want to create yet another tier of elected officials, albeit that they're sort of private individuals and private businessmen. Let's talk to Dr. Thompson, uh, who's called in as well. Uh, Dr. Thompson, a very good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks for calling. What can you tell us? My pleasure. Um... Well, basically, I could I could give you some information. I lost my mother five years ago to cancer. Okay. And um, just by, I'm not not belittling it, but by the by to the conversation, and she went to an NHS doctor and was mis misdiagnosed, I, I believe, twice wow. before when they did find out it was too late. Mm. Um, and, and what was their explanation for that? They had no explanation. That's shocking, isn't it? It's human beings, isn't it? So yeah. you know, it's. It's uh, and, I, and I've got to say, she, uh, my, my, my late stepdad was in the army, and uh, my mum had a health insurance yeah. uh, policy, so she was able to go private, kind of when they couldn't do much for her, but she was able to. And to be honest, it makes no difference. I saw filthy private hospitals as much as I've seen them in NHS hospitals. So I wouldn't even go down that road that it's an inferior or superior. It is what it is, and what I'm trying to get to is that our doctors, our police, our government are only as good and as valuable as the laws that they are allowed to adhere to. Mm. And our laws, Mike, are very antiquated. I'm sure you know this already. A paedophile gets less time in jail than a tax evader. This is the society we yeah. live in. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, does. there's a lot of things wrong with an awful lot of our society. And, and I mean, unfortunately, well, or fortunately, you might say, uh, we haven't always got enough time to talk about all of it. We'll get to all of that well, at some point. I, but in, in specifics, though, let's just stick to the NHS this I, morning. I, I, um, I, think you, I the, can give you more specifics, Mike. It's yeah. not a problem. I've got, I've got a list of things here. Basically, um, the NHS problems arrived long before Theresa Mayhem arrived. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a fact. Um, please bear with me. My, my front door is going... Sounds like one of those uh, sort of Christmassy uh, front door bells. Um, he wants me to hold on while he gets the front door. I'll tell you what we'll do, Dr. Thompson. We'll come back to you. Uh, we'll come back to Dr. Thompson later on because uh, as much as I do want to talk to him, I don't particularly want to wait on hold since I'm the one that's got the radio show uh, and he's the one that's put me on hold. Unbelievable what you get in this place. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I don't care, I don't care if he comes round here. I've got more beer in the sideboard here. Let mama sort it out if he comes round here. 
This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, 03444991000. We're going to talk pubs in a moment. Uh, we're going to go back to the phones as well about the NHS. Uh, Rupert has tweeted in uh, at IROMG and at Talk Radio. Uh, he said, I had cancer. The first doctor, come back in six months if the lump gets bigger. Three days later, a second doctor, immediate referral to a specialist. Same clinic, same lump, totally different outcome. Difference, the second doctor lost a brother to cancer and so took the lump seriously. Well, that's madness, isn't it? I mean, that is total and utter chaos in a system which is supposed to be at least, at the very least, consistent from one doctor to another, but I'm afraid it's not. Now, we were talking a little bit earlier to Dr. Thompson, uh, who had to unfortunately take a break from the telephone uh, to go and answer his front door. Uh, Dr. Thompson, sorry about that. We couldn't really hold on for you, so I thought we'd better to get you back. Much obliged. Sorry about it. That's not at all. Was it it anything nice that came in, uh, in the post? I'm afraid not, just a brown envelope. Oh, dear. That's no good. All right, listen, we haven't got loads of time, so so, so you, you were going to tell us what, what we should do to fix the NHS. Okay, what I think we should do is legalise medical marijuana, and not just for the cancer aspect, just because of the fact that it would solve the NHS financial crisis that they seem to be in at the moment. Yeah. Well, um, we say, the rest well, we, of Europe we... seems to have done it. Sorry, Mike, uh, if I may, yeah, go on. may talk. Um, the rest of Europe seems to have done it. America, which is up until 1938, was the most backwards country when it came to legalising anything, um, seems to have done it. And they're all getting billions of dollars and euros in tax revenue monthly. So if that's not an example to save our even our homeless crisis, we can help with, with by doing this. But on another level, people don't seem to realise um, our country grow more medical marijuana than anyone else in Europe. Did you know that? And it's actually on the stock exchange, a company called GW Pharmaceuticals. Theresa May's husband is a senior executive, Philip May, Mm. of said company. And it's because... Well, in fact, it's the drugs drugs minister's husband, isn't it, that that runs the business? He runs the business, yes. But Philip May, uh, Theresa's husband, is a senior executive and uh, over a million, one and a half million uh, dollar shareholder in the company. So he's got... He's got a lot involved yeah. in, in, in it, so to speak. I'm just using this as a small example of if people think, well, why hasn't this done been already? Yeah. Well, you can't pay, you cannot patent a plant. And it's like you were t- saying earlier about that new drug, uh, Am- Amavili, whatever it's called. Yes. Um, it's the same. Once, once uh, another company finds they can sell a version of it cheaper... The, the the hospitals will always go for the cheaper version because it, it's financially... Well, let's hope they should always go for the cheaper version. I'm not sure that's entirely true, Doctor. But listen, uh, we'll come back to you as well because there's loads for us to discuss uh, and many, many times that we're going to have an opportunity to do so. Uh, and we'll throw that one out as well. The whole medical marijuana debate uh, rages on because they have supposedly uh, legalised medical marijuana, but they haven't really done it properly. That is part of the problem as well. 0344 499 uh, is the number if you want to join in the debate. Uh, let's go now, though, to David Wilson, uh, uh, who is a man uh, who knows a little bit about the British Beer and Pub Association because he is the Public Affairs Director. David, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. How Thanks. are you? I'm very well indeed. Thanks very much. We're going to move away from the uh, possibility of medical marijuana uh, cr- creating um, a good thing for the NHS and let's talk instead about the number of pubs that are closing down in this country because it seems uh, there's a figure come out just recently that two pubs in Britain have closed for every new cafe opening up in the last five years, which is staggering really, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. It's a challenge for us. We're losing uh, three pubs a day um, in the UK are closing their doors for good. Um, And we know that that's something that the British people feel very strongly about. Uh, We launched a campaign in the summer called Long Live the Local, which is designed to get people behind a campaign to cut the tax on beer and reduce some of the tax pressures on pubs to help pubs compete with what is a very competitive high street at the moment. Yes, indeed. And I mean, what chance have you got of getting the Exchequer, though, to reduce a tax on something which they rather rely on for, for quite a lot of money, don't they? No, we do. I mean, beer drinkers do pay a lot in tax, as you, as you say. A pound in every three pound that's spent mm. in a pub goes straight to the taxman. But to be fair to Philip Hammond, he did freeze beer duty. He did listen to those consumers that contacted him before the budget and froze it in the last budget um, because he listened to the arguments that said that, you know, you can't carry on taxing this industry. We are very overtaxed uh, as brewers and pub owners. Yeah, and as people, country. actually, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, well, obviously, it's reflected in, in how much you pay for your pint. So yeah. um, we do get some help from the Chancellor, but there's always more that the government could be mm. doing to help pubs. Right. And what about the kind of pubs that are shutting? Are they um, sort of all different types or are they te- do they tend to be the ones in the countryside? Do they tend to be ones in cities? How does that break down? It's a bit of a mixture, to be honest, Mike. It tends to be the ones where they have struggled to find a food offer in a, in a country where our expectations for pubs to provide a higher quality food offer uh, are much greater. Yeah. Uh, we serve now a billion meals a year in pubs, nice. uh, and pubs are, many pubs are open for breakfast. Uh, many pubs offer a really good coffee offer to compete with some of those coffee shops that you've mentioned. Um, so the ones that are closing, I think, are finding it more difficult to compete because they're not able, for various reasons, to to offer the range of services or the or the occasional the, uh, atmosphere that needs to be provided for consumers these days. Uh, but obviously, it's not all doom and gloom. We all still love to go to our to our local pub. We all love to go out and watch uh, sport in our local pub when we're not talking about it and listening to the radio. Mm. Mike, we're out there watching. The World Cup was great for pubs this yeah. summer because it's a great place for people to go and watch the big sporting occasions. If they can't get tickets for the game itself, there's no better place than to be in a pub uh, with your mates to watch a match. So there's still huge amounts of positivity around pubs, but mm. we, we do face some, some significant challenges, no, of course. as you've pointed out. And what about the idea that sort of too much um, diversification maybe has hurt the pub industry in the sense that you, know, you can't really compete with, with a coffee shop and maybe you shouldn't be trying to. You can't necessarily compete with a restaurant, so maybe you shouldn't be trying to. Do you know what I mean? It's like, have people kind of, has the pub lost its, the great British pub, has it lost its identity slightly? Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. I don't think so. I think what you'll find is that there is a pub for all types of people and there's a pub for all types of occasion. Some of us prefer the sort of more uh, traditional pubs where it's quieter, there's no music, um, and there's a great range of beers and there may be a limited food offer. Others prefer to go out with the families for a meal and therefore they'd go to a pub that had a, a broader food offer. Um, and the good thing is, you know, we've still got nearly 50,000 pubs in the country. It's a fairly uniquely British thing and the British people still love their pubs. I think you know, people are drinking differently. Young people are drinking less. They're not, defer- they're not going to the pub as a default uh, anymore. That, that younger generation, my children's generation, aren't doing that. But, so there's a challenge for 
pubs to provide the kinds of occasions, whether it's quizzes, quiz nights, or darts tournaments, or different kinds of activities that are going to attract people to the pub, get them out of their homes, which have become more comfortable, and into a pub for those experiences that you can only really get in a pub. You won't get those experiences in a coffee shop. Well, here's an experience you won't like to hear, and this is from Bob. He says, I bought a round of six drinks at a pub in Windsor, and it cost 39 quid. I've lost all sympathy for pubs. My local charge is nearly a tenner for two drinks. And even after overheads, how can supermarkets and off-licenses sell so cheap when the pubs can't? Well, I guess you're going to tell me that's down to tax, aren't you? It's partly down to tax. It's also, inevitably, if you keep a good seller and you train your staff and you have a decent number of staff uh, to, to serve that beer, then those are costs involved that you don't have if you're running a, a supermarket to sell beer or other drinks mm. uh, in the supermarket aisle. So, and it's a different experience. You know, we want people to enjoy beer uh, wherever, they, wherever they choose to, but pubs have got to compete with pe- uh, people's... Um, you know, people have got less money in their pockets, so they will be looking for for value where they can find it. Sure. I mean, I must admit, it does surprise me. I'm seeing a a line here in Christchurch in Dorset. Planning permission for a new cafe was recently uh, refused on the grounds that there are are already 14 uh, on a stretch of just 500 yards. I mean, I'm amazed that, that so many cafes can succeed. Well, I think it's because we're working in a different way. Um, we're living longer, so there's more of us who are retired and we've got time, free time on our hands with disposable income. Our lifestyles have changed. Um, I won't say we've become that cafe society, but we certainly do spend a lot more of our leisure time uh, in the high streets or in, in, in shopping centres, and there is time when there's only a limited amount of time that you can actually do shopping. Uh, but those of us who don't particularly enjoy shopping, actually stopping off for a beer or for a cup of coffee is a bit of a, a rest. So I can see why high streets coffee shops are doing well, but they only offer a partial experience. And all I'm saying is that, you know, there are many of us who love the pub because it offers a different experience that you won't get anywhere else. It's a fairly unique experience uh, of enjoyment and fresh beer served uh, on draft in a pub. For me, you know, you can't beat that. You can't rival that. So a lot of people choose that uh, as a leisure option. Sure. David, thanks very much indeed. David uh, Wilson there from the British Beer and Pub Association. Have you stopped going to the pub because it's become so expensive or just because it's not the kind of place you want to go? I don't think the pub system has ever actually recovered from the banning of smoking because the whole point of a pub was that you went there to smoke and loads of people now don't bother because they can't smoke in there, so they just don't go. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We need to get out of Brexit and the whole debate just so we don't have to play music like that, it would seem to me. Uh, but of course, uh, you're listening to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. Jerry says a lot of local pubs are shutting down due to the brewery companies who own the pubs charging an absolute fortune. Sky, BT, etc. charge local pubs the same cost for football as they do a pub in a city centre, which is an absolute disgrace. And David says, I don't think you can beat the experience of drinking in a proper pub. I go most days, but I also agree that the smoking ban was one of the main reasons for the decline. A lot of people saying that uh, uh, the pub business has gone out of business because of the way that they have in fact changed. In fact, Bob says, it would be nice to find a pub with no food, no TV and no kids. <laughs> Head to Scotland would be my advice. 0344 Let's talk to Ricky, who happens to be in Glasgow. Hello, Ricky. 
Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm all right, sir. How are the pubs in Glasgow? We were just talking about Glasgow a minute ago, and uh, I have yeah. very fond memories of the place, you know. Of course you have. Everyone does. It's a great city. It is. Apart from, apart from the other vendors and the alcohol dealers, they've more or less broken its <laughs> knees right enough. Well, I mean, but you've now got minimum pricing in Scotland, haven't you? No, I don't agree with that. Why? I don't agree with that. That's, that's, that's um, an economic term. That's prohibition um, based on... Only uh, for the jakeys, though. Only for the people that can't afford it. The jakeys. Wait, wait, wait a minute, hold a second. You've been asking this for me coming on. <laughs> all right, then hurry up. <laughs> no, 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 first of all, uh, I don't uh, agree with admiration for these uh, alcohol dealers and your elbow benders. That's the first thing. Right. Close all the pub downs. That's the second thing. Let's move on. Where are you going to get all the revenue from, Ricky, to run everything else? Well, look what we'll save uh, with women not getting a sore face behind closed doors and having to attend the National Health Service and put money on there. Well, I don't know about that. Look, oh, 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 let's not talk the truth. I mean, let's say uh, talk about the National Health Service on a Friday or Saturday night. Eh? Well, well, listen, Ricky, not everybody that drinks turns violent. Let me put it to you that way. Well, I'm sorry, I can't agree with you. Um, what about those who get uh, get drunk, stagger out, spew over their beautiful dress? I don't even think I'd go back into the pub and say, excuse me, your product made me sick. Could I have my money back, please? Mm. Well, I I've never... The alcohol industry is making a complete, complete fool of the, the parties that have uh, attended. And yeah, that's but, British pub. No, sorry, Mike, interrupted you. It's your show. Sorry, sorry. No, no, what I was going to say to you, Ricky, is it's all very well saying you make it illegal, which is never going to oh, happen. Yeah, it's prohibition. Which is never going oh, to happen. Going to, it'll have to happen. But the reason, happen. the reason it won't happen, for the same reason they won't ban smoking, is because, actually, it makes an awful lot of money for the government. And they need, you know, they're, they're like a very thirsty uh, animal. They need the money. They can't do without it. They're addicted to money. And without the well, taxpayer... That's, that's honest. That's, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, and without the, the taxpayer, without the tax that they collect, they don't have any money. They can't generate any money, so therefore they need the money to collect. And if you and if you make all these so, things illegal, no, no, no. eh? I'm, I agree with you, but I mean the government is not going to come around and say we're living off the backs of the alcoholic and the drunks. No, no, I they're mean, not. But that's what they're oh, doing. Yeah, that's where the money is coming from. You're saying? Yeah, that's where a lot of it's coming from. Yeah. I mean, they, oh, well, they, collect, they, collect, they collect more money uh, in taxes from cigarettes than they ever spend on the amount of people who need lung cancer treatment from the NHS. Way more, billions is that more. something to brag about? Well, all I I'm mean, saying you, is... You, I've listened to the middle-aged men and they're sitting in the pub and they're talking an absolute load of rubbish. Well, you and know, going to pubs, so... Ricky, you told me. Oh, I've got to play music and watch it. It's pathetic. Really? What a, oh, what a strange right. man you are. You must have a very odd life, Ricky. Listen, we'll talk again soon because we're out of time. Just for this moment, 0344 499 1000. Ricky thinks we should ban alcohol altogether and do away with it. Well, it might cause a few uh, problems uh, for a few people, uh, but I suppose we could do without it. Or you just move to Saudi Arabia if you don't want to uh, deal with any of that. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, the next conversation we're about to have is going to be even more unbelievable than the last one uh, because... Believe it or not, somebody has said that the best place to live if you're under 30 uh, is uh, Sunderland. And not only is it the best place to live in this country, but it's also the best place to work. Now, I don't know anyone uh, who likes Sunderland. I don't know anyone who's been there that says it's anything other than a completely awful, ghastly place. And I'm talking about people who studied there, right? Now, we tried to find somebody from Sunderland to actually defend it. But all we could find was Andy Dawson, podcaster and TalkSport presenter, who's, of course, from uh, nearby Middlesbrough. Andy, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Hi, Mike. I'm from Sunderland, actually. Oh, I thought you were from Middlesbrough. No. Right. So, what's great about Sunderland? Um, 
<clears throat> when was the last time you were in Sunderland, Mike? I've never been there. Right. So you've just said that it's a dump, but you've never been. Yeah, because everyone I know who's ever been there says it's a dump, and that's why I've never been. Right. Okay. Um, I presume it's famous for its sense of humour, Andy. Oh, you know what? I can't be bothered with this. You can't be bothered with what? Oh, dear. Andy Dawson has hung up the phone, thereby proving that Sunderland is a very unwelcoming part of the world. That is quite extraordinary. Poor old Andy. I wonder why he doesn't like uh, talking about Sunderland. Maybe somebody can help us out. 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Um, apparently, if you un- if you, up- you want to upset anyone from Sunderland, what you do is you say that they're from Middlesbrough. But actually, um, it's all part of the joke, really, isn't it? How very interesting. How very, very interesting. Andy, da- Andy Dawson, right, uh, he says uh, on his Twitter, going on talk radio in about 15 minutes to talk about why my home city is a magnet for millennials. Uh, and he then has the story, which says that Sunderland is named as the best place for under-30s to live and work, and a three-bedroom home can be snapped up for £150,000. Can somebody from Sunderland tell me why you should live there? For heaven's sake, without putting the phone down. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000. Of course, if you are listening uh, to Talk Radio Online, did you know that you can also listen on DAB Digital Radio? Radio is growing, and more people than ever across the UK can now receive DAB radio stations with new transmission areas being added all the time. So press the auto tune or auto scan button on your DAB Digital Radio now to make sure you don't miss out. For more details, go to talkradio.co.uk forward slash retune. can, of course, always listen via the app on uh, your phone and also uh, through talkradio.co.uk. A couple of quick tweets before we go back to the phones. Uh, you know the number, of course, 0344 499 uh, Here's one from Ross about the uh, the business at the University of Sheffield and real education. Great points, he says. As an academic myself, says Ross, I have at various times been told by the university hierarchy not to use examinations as assessment as students don't like them. Instead, I've been asked to set assignments and group assessment. And I've also known university Managers virtually place a gun to lecturers' heads by instructing them to return absurdly high grades and pass rates. And I think part of the problem with all that uh, is, of course, that uh, you know universities like schools now with their Ofsted um, uh, sort of uh, marks of one or two or whatever it is that they get awarded. You know, if they get too low an award and too many of the students say they don't like going there, then they'll lose money. That's part of the problem. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. We were talking earlier uh, about Sunderland, why it's been named as the best place to live if you're under thirty, the best place to work, cheapest place to buy a house. Uh, Andy Dawson doesn't agree. He's from Sunderland, uh, but he couldn't seem to come up with any reasons why you would want to live there. Uh, let's talk to Pablo, who's in Newcastle. Hello, Pablo. How do, Mike? How are you doing? Very well indeed, mate. Very nice to hear from you. Um, lovely part of the world, Newcastle. I've never been to Sunderland, so I can't say what it's like, but tell us why everyone up there is so kind of, you know, upset with each other. Well, I mean, the, the whole kind of Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough rhetoric Type of thing, you know, yeah. your, your your smoggies, your Mackhams and your scabby mags and all that. Now the Mackhams and all that for people who don't know that that was all about sort of calling people who made the ships 
Mackums, right? And that was where they made them. Yeah, it was Mackum and Tackum. Right. Um, so it, uh, but obviously we already uh, we already had Geordie, so Tackum didn't really uh, take on. Right. Uh, and where does Tuckum. Geordie come from? It's a, well, it's split, but I believe the the official understanding is that it's from King George's men when uh, when Scotland. Uh, and England had issues. Uh, the people of Newcastle sided with uh, King George against the Scottish, so it became Georgies, which later became Geordies. Oh, OK. All right. So, so I mean, it's a relatively small area, isn't it, in terms of ge- ge- geography, Middlesbrough, Sunderland and, and Newcastle, but, but very fiercely sort of, I guess, nationalistic in their own place. Well, yeah, well, I think most of that's down to football, to be honest with you. I think if you take football out of the equation and the kind of um, fans surrounding it... Right. Generally, people in the northeast get on quite well. The whole kind of, you know, going on about uh, Sunderland being bad or Newcastle being bad, it's generally specifically football-related. Mm. Um, and it's a very, very, uh, you know, stone to kind of derby thing up here. You know, I'm in the minority. I don't really support football. I'm okay. not really that interested in this. But uh, that is yeah. unusual for a, for a, for a guy from Newcastle because I mean, certainly when I've I mean I've been up there with the two mics. We did a show at the old uh, opera house there, and we stayed in um, uh, that uh, the hotel right next to St James Park with the Shark Bar in it. Right, uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was a you know it was a very much. I mean, the whole kind of theme of, of Newcastle as a city seems to be about the football club. Well, it is, and I think, personally, I think that's a bit of a shame because, you know, essentially, if you tie your, tie your stock too much within a football team, I mean, just look at Sunderland where they are now, I mean, you can't really, you know, call Sunderland AFC the pride of Sunderland when it's languishing in the doldrums <laughs> of whatever division. Well, no, and indeed. If that's, all you, if that's all you're hanging your hat on, then, like I say, you know, uh, it just takes one bad season and all of a sudden it's, it's a it's a punchline rather than a, something to be proud of. Well, that was kind of why I was hoping that Andy Dawson might be able to tell me what was great about Sunderland because it has been named as a great place to be and a great place to, to work and a great place to live. But but instead of that, he decided to take umbrage about the fact that I suggested he might be from Middlesbrough. Well, you see, and, and I know Andy Dawson is a, is a big football fan himself, so that might have been their part of... That might explain <laughs> it. So he can't separate this. Is, he's maybe just depressed because Sunderland is so awful. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, it's a jerky type of reaction that people have. As soon as you mention Sunderland, even locally around here, people straight away say, oh, Magnums, oh, it must be from Sunderland, oh, that, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it, it, as I say, it, it's just a jerky reaction from football. It's kind of uh, indoctrinated within people from quite a young age. But um, but Sunderland's grand. I mean, it's uh, obviously Lewis Carroll um, did um, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, he, well, he wrote it in Sunderland. Uh, well, no, I mean, this whole kind of uh, cliche that's happening about that he came up with it on a boat. Um, like on a boat with his some kids in London somewhere. Right. Apparently that's all Titian Fipsy. It, it's uh, it's basically his sister used to live in uh, Sunderland. She was married to a, a, a priest or a vicar or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and he would come up regularly to visit his nieces. And um, there's a brilliant book by Brian Talbot called Alice in Sunderland. Oh really? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I like, it's like it. a comic. Like a graphic novel, uh, but what it does is just full of facts and information about Sunderland and the Northeast, and you can actually tie some of the kind of geographical descriptions in Alice in Wonderland. You can actually tie to specific places in Sunderland, right? And there's uh, there's a park in this in the city of Sunderland which has got uh, like lots of you know references to it, and it's a nice little walk near the the glass house, which is like uh, Winter Gardens. Yeah. Now, I mean, the thing that does surprise me, though, is it tells us that, you know, it's a great place to go and work. Now, if you want to attract the millennials up to Sunderland, um, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I mean, it's got a big uh, car factory, but I'm not sure what else it's got, really. 
Well, it's close to Newcastle, I suppose. Yeah. Um, no, no, but that's the, that's the thing. I mean, part of the, the with this story, all it really is is the you know the base story behind it is the fact that it's been criminally underfunded and uh, had very little uh, income put into it from uh, the government over the years. And uh, I mean, it only got city status in like nineteen ninety one or thereabouts, I think. Okay. Um, and obviously, you've got the 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 car factory, but um, obviously with the whole kind of Brexit shenanigans, I won't go into that. Well, they're not sure really, are they, whether they're going to stay or not, are they? Exactly, and if that goes, that is literally the biggest employer in Sunderland. So, right. um, But as I say, ultimately, this whole kind of story of, oh, it's the best place to live, is basically because it's been so criminally underfunded over the years that it's just really cheap to live there yeah. because of that. So right. it's kind well, of, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at a house which has uh, been put out there by Hunters.com, uh, the estate agents. Park Parade, overlooking Roker Park, four-bedroom house, close to the seafront, extended and improved, but the house retains many original features. Looks like a lovely old sort of Victorian terraced house. 320,000. I mean, if that was in London, it'd be probably about one and a half million. Oh, well, that's it. And, and that's the thing. And hopefully, you know, it'll kind of have a kind of reverse effect because of the, you know, problems with um, not, not any investment in the area. Hopefully it will attract people, which will in turn kind of like bolster it back up. Yeah. Way. So Maybe we should come and do a show from Sunderland. What do you think? Um, well, you might have a few people who agree with your viewpoints up there. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Listen, it's not my viewpoint. All I'm telling you is that everyone I've ever spoken to who's ever been there says it's horrible. You know, it's not yeah. my fault. It could definitely be improved upon, but like I say, I think, you know, we in the North East are often kind of forgotten about in general, whether it's, you know, to do with budgets or to do with touring people or whatever. Often they'll go to Manchester and then skip straight to Scotland. So, But everybody talks about Newcastle as being a great party town. Everybody says Newcastle's full of senses of, full of people with a great sense of humour. You know, you have a great night out in Newcastle. Anyone who is anyone will tell you that. Um, and I can attest to that because I have been there and it's been great. But, but I mean, I know people who went to university in Sunderland and they said it was awful. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it could, it could definitely do with a little bit. But, you know, I suppose they've always got weird side jack. Weir side Jack, there you go. You see, it's taken Pablo from Newcastle to actually big up Sunderland. You've done a better job than Andy Dawson, who's from Sunderland. Well, you see, I've taken the football out of the equation. I can <laughs> I can view these things with a clear, um, measured head. Yes, no, absolutely right. Listen, Pablo, thank you very much indeed uh, for your thoughts. Pablo there, bigging up uh, Sunderland, even though he's not actually from Sunderland, showing uh, that, in fact, you can be magnanimous about these things. You don't have to have hatred in your heart just because you're, from, you're not from Middlesbrough or Sunderland or Newcastle. It's a bit like hating somebody from Essex while you come from London. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.